Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB, aka Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Welcome to our first bonus episode of the podcast. In Vote for Pleasure Part 2, my best friend Safina and I talk about why she loves politics so much, the importance of voting and why swing states matter, and finally, we dissect a CNBC article titled Abortion, Equal Pay, Family Leave. Here are all the women's rights policies proposed by 2020 candidates so far. For every question, we refilled our glasses with delicious and very cheap wine, so that's fun. She's beauty and she's grace, a top-notch NYU law student, and my bestie, Safina McCly. I really was like, after we talked, I was like, how are we going to do this? And you like, were like, here's the plan. And I was like, okay, that's the right plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we are half a drink in. Barely. Just barely. We kind of did the thing where you like... Pour a glass, drink a couple sips. Right. Oh my god, that's that looks it. great. Thanks. Yeah, it's oh, awesome. Yeah. That's the bust feature. Yeah, with that I got custom frame. You know that movie has ninety nine percent on Rotten Tomato. Okay, what were you even gonna say? Don't remember. Cool. Um, welcome, Safina the Weena. Thank you, Danielle <laughs> the Swell. <laughs> okay. The first thing that came to my mind when I wanted you to be on this episode was remember when you were like running. <laughs> student government at, in Berkeley at Berkeley and I would be like a vote for Safina McFly is like a vote for Marty McFly I of course remember that why did I do that first of all that was the catchiest tagline you could have you, ever come you've up ever with. had in your life why did you do that um Berkeley student government is a s- strange little town yes um it's extremely competitive and because it's Berkeley everything feels way more political and, like, life or death in a way that, like, other people who did student government were like, I planned a huge party every year, and I'm like, I never thought about parties one time. You don't thought get about it! I of the student body. <laughs> um, so I, I think that some weird features of Berkeley student government are, one, when I ran in the last election that I ran in, there were 12,000 people that voted. Fuck. Which is, like, madness. That's so many people. Yeah. Um, so people get really engaged and excited. And I think it's a place where people test out their politics, specifically when they're on the left. I think there's like a small and loud Republican contingent at Berkeley, but the two dominant political parties at Berkeley are like left mm-hmm. and like way left. Yeah. And interesting. I think that reflects our democratic primary that we're seeing right now. It reflects how I think a lot of people who are quote-unquote liberal or Democrats perceive their own politics. It's like a battle for, like, where on the left spectrum we want to be. Yeah. Um, and you were just a really good friend because you held up the I just really loved handing out those those signs, flyers. flyers to people and With making calls. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so proud. Cheeks. Your chubby cheeks. My chubby cheeks. Safina, you're my best friend, and you're I'm really happy that you're on the podcast. Um, um, it's an honor, Danielle. You know, <laughs> scouts honor, as they say. <laughs> it's an honor, Danielle. Okay, let's start by like understanding who you are, mm-hmm. and like, 
a little bit about like your background, kind of like why you care, but you're like my most politically smart and engaged. You're my most like blank friend for like most things I have, like smartest, funniest, most beautiful, amazing. Thank you, Danielle. And also you're very politically engaged. So I kind of want to just hear like a little tidbit about your background and your Mm -hmm. story and like, why do you care so much about politics? Um, It's a beautiful question. And I think in... 2019, most of my friends feel like they have no choice but to care about politics because post-Trump, it sort of feels like we're all in like DEFCON, whatever, DEFCON. Five is what they say. Oh, cool, yeah. DEFCON five. DEFCON five. Mike, you heard that, military (laughs) talk. Um, But I think what got me interested in politics is I'm an immigrant to this country from Canada. Um, a terrifying place. Tricked your bitch. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, so, and I actually moved to the United States six months before 9-11. And my family is Muslim, and my parents got divorced, and we were like, California is the best place you can be in the whole world. And we moved to the U.S., and six months later, 9-11 happened, and on that day, my sister got beat up at school. Like... Some kid knew that we were Muslim somehow, or I think a lot of kids who weren't Muslim but were Indian or South Asian and um, got, like, attacked or called out, you know. And we were in California, like, a pretty liberal town. We were far away from it all. And I think at that moment, that's, like, sort of my origin story of being interested in politics because I was like, what the heck just happened? Yeah. And... America and the U.S. had seemed like this perfect, idyllic place. And we moved to a cul-de-sac. And, like, my mom was a single mom and could totally make it here. But it was like, oh, shoot, if we don't talk about who we are and why we matter, like, we're not going to be able to have a place here. And we'll go back. Right. Um, I was nine when that happened. So, like, I wasn't like, I will now be running for office. (laughs) Hello, Sacramento. No, but it was, like, the beginning of something for you. Yeah. And I think... um, People perceive politics to just be like voting or running for office or debating. But what's really important to me about politics is it's about being part of a community. And like anyone who has tried to be a part of a group or build a group and then help that group get what they need is like doing politics. Mm. Um, So I think that my brand of politics has always been there's activism, but you can't really be an activist or a politician, unless you really understand the people that you're fighting for. And I think like the worst kind of politicians do it because they're kind of like, I'll run for office literally no matter where I am because I am the best person to represent anybody. Mm. And it's like, for what purpose? (laughs) (laughs) And like most of those people are like men who are generally white, who have a ton of money and are like, I got, I got you guys. Right. It's like, who even probably don't though. Yeah. Um, So I think that politics looks a little bit like being open to building a community. And Mm -hmm. then from there, like deciding how you can best serve that community. God, you are like just Leslie Nope up the wazoo. Thank you so much, Danielle. No, you know, it's it's a real compliment. Like, yeah. Um, Okay, where are you now? Tell the Mm -hmm. people like who you are, like what your kind of like goals are Mm. after skill and what where you want to be. So I just finished my first year of law school, um, which I kind of thought I might always want to do, but like feel now. 
totally 100% sure that it was the right call. Um, and I worked at a firm this summer, big law firm, which I think is what I want to do for a few years. Um, it's like interesting work. I got to do a lot of pro bono work, um, some reproductive rights work uh, with the firm, which was cool. Um, and then my long-term goals are to like go back into government and figure out a way to make this city work a little better. Amazing. Transitioning now to our next topic. <laughs> very, very smooth. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. All right. Let's see. Yeah. We're going to take... Every time we switch topics, we're going to like take a couple drinks. Oh, okay. So great. at home, if you're listening and you like have had a long day, mm-hmm. you're like pouring the wine, like drink with us yeah. if you want. Slurp up. Which is what we just did right now. Oh, God. Lord help me. (laughs) Okay. So I want to really talk about, like, voting and engagement Mm -hmm. because I am someone who always has thought – I have a lot of thoughts on this. Basically, I I feel like I'm someone who always – thinks that voting is very important. Mm. Like it really kept, like after reading Michelle Obama's book, especially Mm. like she is very empowering and that she talks about like how Barack and her have been very transparent about the fact that voting in numbers like can change everything. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like really powerful. And yet people don't do it. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are so many different reasons. Like there are barriers that people face. Obviously, like more poor communities and people of color aren't able to get to the booths or the booths close early or whatever the the horrible barriers that make it unjust, which of course need to be said. But also something that I think about is the fact that the electoral college exists Mm -hmm. and there are like 10 states solely that run the fucking election. Mm -hmm. And I think that being someone who's from New York and then moves to California and is back in New York, you know, the coasts have, have always basically been blue and they basically will always be blue. Mm -hmm. And it's not about us. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because we're engaging with our friends about these things and they matter, but our vote doesn't matter as much. (laughs) Can you just talk about that and like maybe explain a little bit about like the electoral college and what you think about that? Mm Yeah, voting is so interesting because I think for some people who do vote, that is like their exercise of political autonomy. And it is like the Instagram post is sufficient to show that they are engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, And you are totally right that like the way that our system was designed was to empower states, even those who are less populous and maybe shouldn't have as much power as they do. Right. And as a result... Um, politicians focus on issues that for us, sometimes we're like, what are you even talking about? Like, why, why does this matter? You never come to our state. Um, you know, the debates are like the last one was in Detroit. It's like places that, you know, matter of course. Um, but also then the issues get tailored to be those that resonate with that community. Mm -hmm. Um, so the system is flawed. And I think like step one is always like, How are we going to fix that? And I think that there are people who are bringing lawsuits and who are really concerned with like the systemic change. Um, I think for us who live on the coasts, who are politically engaged, who want to do something like voting should be like 100 percent your bare minimum activity because it literally it matters. But like the in a national election, like the chances your vote will make a huge difference are you're right. Slim to none. Right. That being said, in like local elections in New York. 
like um, the Queen's DA race, like four to five votes might make the difference. Between- Talk about that. What is that? Yeah. So um, the DA, who is the district attorney um, in the boroughs, are elected. And in Queens, there was a race between sort of um, who you might consider a more establishment candidate and then a woman who is a former public defender who's running to be the DA. And this is like a huge movement um, in criminal justice reform is to get sort of progressive people who did criminal defense work on the prosecution side because they're like, I've lived what this does in these communities. Right. And I'm going to like come up with policies that are going to have, instead of saying like, yeah, it really sucks that marginalized communities are are the highest hit by tough on crime laws. They're going to adjust how they prosecute cases. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one thing that was like totally shocking to me in my first year of law school was learning that prosecutors have like almost absolute discretion to bring a case. So say like you and I are both committing the same crime. Sure, as we would. As we would. We're hooligans. <laughs> um, and the prosecutor chooses to charge you, but not me. Mm. Their decision is basically like unreviewable. And it could be for any number of factors. Um, like they don't have to explain themselves. And they could choose to charge you or drop the charges against me or not even look at me. You know, it, there's a ton of discretion when it comes to prosecutors. Um, That's fucked up. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And part of it is like a separation of powers issue. Um, In some ways, they're dealing with like a resource allocation issue. So we kind of defer to them on like what they want to spend their resources on. But, uh, you know, what that looks like is people's biases, what matters to them. um, They bring into the work with them. So all of this to say in Queens, there was an election. um, Part of this movement to get... Uh, public defenders to run for office as DAs and the vote went through a recount and it's like extremely close. Like I think five to 10 votes could make a difference. Wow. Um, which is like back to Berkeley, like the kind of numbers that we dealt with at school. Right. Um, and so locally your vote super matters and I don't want to take anything away from that. But on the national level, um, I think people are trying to think of creative ways to make their vote matter because the system, the way that it is, um, And I think one way that people have been successful at expanding the power of their vote is um, this happened a lot, like right when Trump was elected, there was like this movement where people were just blocking people on Facebook who they disagreed with. Right. Someone was like, oh, my uncle was all Trump today, so I blocked him. Mm -hmm. Happy Friday. And it's like, (laughs) what? Yeah. Um, And I think one of the most powerful methods of Resistance is to sort of bring the people who are the most likely to be persuaded by you, your family, people who look like you, who live in these swing states, and to, like, engage them in conversation. Yeah. Um, And I think that a lot of my friends who are, like, white women will ask me, like, what can I do? And it's like, you know, I can't call your grandpa who like literally has never met a Muslim Technically before. you can, but you will not and you should. Not. Yeah, and I could just butt dial your grandpa anytime <laughs> I wanted to. Um, but and like the the hard work that you can do when you have somebody in your orbit that might listen to you is to engage them in conversation. Yeah. Because that's like the power of your position as like a smart, progressive person who cares about this stuff is like how can you be intentional with your own messaging? Because, like, when people watch the Democratic debates who aren't Democrats, like, 
sometimes the way that they speak, the candidates speak, is like alienating to people who are outside the party. Mm. But if you're like, hey, grandpa, who sure. now is a character in this. Right. And if you're like, this is why this matters to me. Here's the experiences from my life. You moved to this country for X, Y, Z reason. Um, I think that's a powerful way to like touch people who otherwise might not vote. I think that's a great point. Do you know also of any like organizations or like ways to, so for example, like going to like Nevada Mm -hmm. to like canvas and like knock on doors is something that we did like in 2016 for the Hillary election. And then, you know, Nevada swung left and everyone was like, Oh, we did it. You know? And like, obviously we didn't do that. Actually, Like you probably did do it. Isn't that cool though? To like go and like knock on doors and it's horrible. Like who wants to be subjected to like someone like slamming the fucking door on your face being like, no, I'm voting for Trump and you can go fuck yourself. Not like everyone has that accent, but that's kind of (laughs) what I think of when I think of someone saying that to me. And, and it's obviously not that accent. You know, I have family members in totally. my own community. Obviously, everyone does who totally. voted for Trump or else he wouldn't have fucking been elected. 100%. So I think it's interesting in terms of thinking about, number one, talk to people in your family and in your circle. Number two, should people be going to these swing states or donating money? Or, like, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah. I Honestly, yes and to everything. Yeah. Um, I think, like, if you have a candidate, like connecting with their field team and just being like, I'm willing to spend a weekend where you can send me within driving training distance of where I am is like, if you're going to donate $5 to like the party or to your candidate, if you would rather save your $5 and spend it on a train ticket to a swing district and spend some time out there, completely beautiful use of your money. And those field teams out there, they have people in like strategic parts of the country and will like, happily activate you where you want to be. And I think this is one, something that you can do. Anybody can do it, but the people who are most effective at it, spend their time, their like train ride over thinking about their story and like how, when you're face to face with another human being, you can connect about like why it matters that they should vote. Yeah. So that's the first thing. And then there are, there's, I think this popped up in 2016 and may have been like alive before then, but there are these sister district projects where a sort of like very blue district um, will kind of like adopt a sister district that's close by-ish and will basically leverage all of the energy of their members locally to do calls, phone banking, tweeting, messaging, and visits to this quote-unquote sister district. Right. Um, and like, there's no need to do that formally. Like you and your friends could sort of like pick a district and decide like that's your place and that's where you're going to spend your time the election. Um, but I think like an easy way out is to say like, I voted, I posted about this and I'm like complaining to my friends about like the ambiguous people who aren't agreeing with me right? because like, that's not going to do it. It's so hard. It's so hard to feel like. like your like influence is actually going to reach people, especially because with this, like the past couple years and with this new election coming up, it's kind of like 
oh, no, like the people who voted for Trump are so different from me. You know, we have this thought in our head of like, well, if someone's going to vote for like a racist, sexist, misogynist, like rapist, Mm -hmm. then like how could I ever connect with that person? And that to me is so hard to figure out, like how to convince people who in my head like chose to vote for someone either knowing or not caring about these like allegations like, how do you even, like, connect? Yeah, and I think the easy way to handle the situation is to dismiss because it is painful. Like, as a woman, as a person of color, it's painful to know that there are people who would prioritize anything over, like, my safety right. and comfort and existence. But I think the only way that I've been able to, like, find any kind of love or common ground or like acceptance is the reason that people vote generally is like not hatred. Yeah. It it's is for like, their own shit. Totally. It's like fear about their own financial well-being or fear that because of people of color or women now succeeding and taking space in politics and in Congress that like there are less seats for people that look like them Mm. or that as a result of progressive policies, like they'll have to give up money that they feel like they don't have. Um, And it's like so community based. Like I feel this way, you know, going to Berkeley, there's like such a strong narrative about progressive politics Mm -hmm. that those who didn't buy into that felt completely alone and alienated. And some people like thrive by being isolated in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it develops into like, hatred and distrust and this like kind of climate of politics that we have now. Yeah. And I don't think that answer is to excuse the behavior because it's like, it's selfish and it's um, based in fear, which is like not the right way to make your decisions. Right. Um, But I think there's like a level of like, there's a balance between like compassion and, um, and like not wanting to preach or teach, like um, I, there was like a candidate in 2016 that was like convinced that like if only people understood that they were voting against their own interests, like they would do better. And mm-hmm. it's like maybe that framing isn't the right framing. Right. Maybe instead it's like like truly and honestly, what are your motivators, and how can I show you that my candidate will get you those things? better and like in a way that will continue to support your life and lifestyle. Totally. But it's, it's like hard. I mean, it's hard because I I mean, I would say most of my friends who like have not had a conversation with a person who openly and honestly voted for Trump. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot of my like dad side of the family, Mm. like absolutely did. And a lot of that is kind of like Israel politics Mm, and and that, you know, is really important to some people. Totally. And at the same time, back to, like, the original thing is, like, they're New Yorkers. Their Trump vote doesn't fucking matter. Mm -hmm. Like, if my family lived in Michigan or Ohio, like, their votes would have mattered way more. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting thinking about the idea of, like, yes, go out and vote. Yes, it's really important. And yes, swing states kind of matter more. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's just what it is. Totally. And, like, it sucks that, like, that's the reality. And a lot of people would rather, like, the popular vote be kind of the thing that people look to. Totally. And I'm, like, I'm just, like, 
what's the word disheartened disheartened disheartened, disingenuous all of it you're dissed I'm just dissed (laughs) no I don't know it's just hard for me to understand how to even contribute but I I really love what you said in terms of like if people have like a free couple weekends in the like coming months you know this is early right Mm -hmm. like the election isn't really like gearing up until like Obviously, the candidate is chosen for the Dems. And, like, once that happens... And I also think this, last point on this before we transition again, which is people who have this thought of, like, oh, well, if it's not X person, then I'm not voting. Or, like, I'm voting for an independent. And it's, like, what these people have to understand, in my opinion, is that, like, we need to get Trump out of office. Mm -hmm. And, like, if the only way to do it... For example, if Biden is fucking the the oh, person yeah. and everyone hates Biden, like don't not vote for Biden because then we're gonna have four more years of like horrible racist sexist Trump and like your pride is not worth like four more years of like horribleness yes. at all. And I think what's important to remember is like in mass those votes add up and like we saw that independent candidates took a lot away from Hillary in 2016 and it's like I think the the protest vote can be admirable and it can be useful um when you know when you've counted your votes um but otherwise it's dangerous Mm -hmm. and it's i think for those that really have something to lose like you know their health care is on the line in 2020 or their livelihood or their health and safety and i mean the earth like is on the line in 2020 the earth is on the fucking it's on the fucking line and like um for those that don't know, I was a lobbyist before I went to law school. And like, so, you know, the way that I think about things is always like, what's our strategy? What's our end game? And like, what can we afford to give? Um, and I think it's important as we think about what we care about to be sort of strategic. And I, I know that people hate that. Like, I know that it's a hard pill to swallow to think about like your values and then translating them into like a strategic approach Mm -hmm. to this game because sadly it's like a game like that's what we're talking about with swing states with this comm strategy with not blocking people on facebook it's like all a game but it's the game we built and you can in like the off years of an election challenge the game and like fix voting access and fix the electoral college Mm. um but when we're in the game we got to play the freaking game Wow, your metaphors are just off the Thank charts. You. I'm a huge game. I'm a huge <laughs> game lover. I'm not, I'm not. No, you love that movie Game Night. I do. Don't lie. And I love Jumanji. Okay, let's be honest. The original Jumanji, terrifying. Ten movies of all Fully. time. And the new Jumanji, also not great. No. But I'll watch it because I love the rock. And I'll say this. I've never disagreed with you so strongly. One of the best movies ever made. And I'll say this. You're wrong. No, but original Jumanji, I'll say this. Original Jumanji is way better than recent Jumanji. And let me respond with this. (laughs) No? I can't. I can't. can't. All right. Let's talk about why we're even talking about these things. Because if you're listening, you may be thinking to yourself, Hold on a hot sec. Where's the sex? Where's the sex? Where's the edge? Sure. You know? Really sure. Many times Mm. sure. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right in that we haven't talked about that yet. But the reason why 
I wanted to have Saffy Daffy Taffy on. That's her nickname. <laughs> don't mess with it. But also don't call Don't call her that. No, but like don't but mess with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think sex ed policy and like recognizing why things are so bad in terms of the way that sex ed is or is not yeah. in America is because of politics and because of what we have and haven't allowed to go through with who we have in power. And those things take time, but they eventually become the norm. And that's what we kind of look to as culture, laws, policy, like all of those things impact the the state of sex ed in the country. Yeah, I think that's like beautiful framing. Like people in our generation are always sort of surprised at like how people think about sex ed, but that is like not accidental. I right. mean, that is like a product culturally of America. And then we frequently will just politicize it and then institutionalize it. And it is so much freaking harder to make something to undo something than to make it happen in the first place. Um, and Thomas Jefferson thought that we should rewrite our constitution every generation. Oh my God. And when I first heard that, I was like, hell yeah. Like, what the heck are we doing? Right. That we're allowing sort of like these people who literally never thought I could even breathe in this country, step foot in this country, be a part of this country, dictate like what it is that it looks like. Mm -hmm. And um, laws often function the same way that will institutionalize one law in a Congress and it'll have like a 10 year sunset. And you're always worried about what's that like horrible express, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, we're don't like, know. this is a thing that, that <laughs> others have said. Um, and, but it's basically like, you don't want to throw away the tiny ounce of good that you've created and so instead of like rewriting or undoing, you'll just sort of leave things be. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Which is like, what does that expression? I don't want mean? to know. It's all right. So we'll just leave that. Be. <laughs> Let's just put it away. Yeah. Um, so I think, from what I understand, like the conversation around sex ed, from when it has happened in politics, has basically been grounded on like whether it should be abstinence based or comprehensive. Right. And like. That has totally, like, Democrats have been advocates of abstinence-based sex education. Um, it sort of follows the cultural norms of America. Um, and then all of that has now sort of, I think, the, like, hot-button sex ed. I, that conversation is obviously still happening mm -hmm. and, like, varies by district, which is totally bonkers. But beyond that, now you have, like, a broader conversation about women's rights. Right. And I think that's taken a bunch of forms, like equal pay, mm -hmm. conversations about abortion. Um, and that's, like, the current discourse. And I, I think in the Democratic Party, because we, I think in general, Democrats have moved away from any inkling of abstinence-based sex For education. For sure. Because it doesn't fucking work. Of there course. is so much research out there. Abstinence-only education does not work. There have been multiple studies, many papers, much research has been done on this. Mm -hmm. And comprehensive sex ed gives people the tools, makes people... You all know this if you're already listening, so I don't really have to rant about this, but I'm a little drunk, so just let me just do it. Just don't scream at me. But, you know, <laughs> you just need... 
set comprehensive sex ed in order to give people the the shit that they need mm-hmm. to live a, a good life. Like it's it's proven. And if you just going back to our earlier conversation about the system, it's like say you're a politician who is is from a swing state, even if you firmly believe in comprehensive sex education, the problem is that when you decide to run for president or if you want to keep your seat, you have to like toe this line right. between keeping your seat and talking about things exactly the way that you want them to be. You can't be fully honest. Yeah, it's it's a hard line. And I think what people look for in the primary is somebody who can be honest and stick with their values, but also um, is capable of winning. Right. Which is, like, gross. It's hard. Um, And it's, if you think about those swings, I mean, like, you know, here on the coasts, we're like, I wish somebody told me exactly how a penis entered a vagina from birth. Right. Um, but in the middle of the country, there are places that are like the bringing that conversation into the space is like, right. so um, it's a hard balance. It is. And we have this article that yes. we are kind of wanting to maybe go through and, and check in about because CNBC came out with this article um, a little bit ago. Let me load it. Savina, are you having a good time? I'm having the best time. This is such a good interview. I, I just love it. Wow, I love the instant feedback that's happening right now. No, it's it's really working And for I me. do want to say that Danielle and I always talk at we, this level of intellect. Sure. Yeah. We're just <laughs> always here. It's this not true. Friendship it's not true. I'm kind of sweating on your couch. I know. I'm really sorry. No, the air okay. has to be off no, because of okay. the sound. Oh, oh, yeah. Do we want to take Should a Should we do that? Sure, then, let's take we'll a break. the article. Yes. We'll and then refill, we'll... and you'll refill your wine, too, listener. Yes. sweet ass time oh, wow you sent me a beautiful photo of myself <laughs> well you actually sent that to yourself <laughs> crazy did y'all okay great okay Safunas, we're back we're back it's welcome a, back did everyone refill their wine did everyone listener <laughs> listener you're out there we hope there's like two people who listen hi back and my mom i was gonna say my mom okay so we found this article yeah. by courtney by courtney conley, conley okay at Classically Courtney. If classically you, Court. Danielle. If you oh sorry at, at classically Court. If you want to follow this person on social social meds. So the name of this article is "Abortion Equal Pay Family Leave: Colon." Here are all the women's rights policies proposed by 2020 candidates so far. This was written about a month ish ago. Mm-hmm. So if there are new policies. You shoot us an email. You tell us. Send them our way. We'll post about it. And we'll be happy to sort of react. Yeah, with emojis or otherwise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're going to go through this because to kind of finish out this segment, we want to talk about, like, why certain political candidates are, like, worth looking into if you're interested in voting for people who care about sex ed. Mm -hmm. So the first thing here on the list, they kind of have this... In, like, you know, segments, abortion, equal pay. Yeah, buckets. Buckets, you know? Charlie Buckets from Willy Wonka. Interesting. Is that his last name? I think so. Wow. Anyway, so the first segment is abortion and reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. And the first person on here is Warren. 
Yeah, I guess some background is that in May, Alabama passed this like extremely restrictive abortion law, which is illegal. Right. Like under our current abortion framework in the United States, federally, abortions are allowed within a certain period of a fetus's life mm-hmm. and when and in a mother's gestation point. Mm-hmm. Um but these states in a way in protest and testing federalism right um are basically passing these laws which would contradict our federal policy on abortion making it more restrictive in their states to get an abortion and they're like insanely restrictive right um and the supreme court in the past has said that like this kind of restriction on abortion shouldn't be allowed so um the article frames the candidate's response in a part to this kind of new development that we're seeing where states are taking it upon themselves to challenge um, the federal government's policy on abortion. Exactly. Thank you so much for that background. Hey, I've done one year of law school. Hey, you're a lawyer. You know what? I'm not a lawyer. I have to say that. (laughs) She's legally obligated. (laughs) No, she's not a lawyer, so don't ask her to do shit for you. But in a different way, in like two years, give your girl a call. Give your girl a call. (laughs) 1-800-SAFUNIS. Okay. So she, Warren, of course, says that as president, if she are are elected, if she is elected, that she would pass new federal laws to uphold the Roe v. Wade ruling and ensure all women have access to birth control and abortion, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool for her to, like, make that stance. Totally. Wouldn't you say? I I agree. I mean, it's like, it's a different world where all these freaking women are just like, I'm allowed to say these words and run for president. Right. And it's like, yeah. Pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And she also talks about repealing the Hyde Amendment. Yeah. Which we should talk about. We should talk about it. Because the Hyde Amendment, you're you're the soon-to-be lawyer here, but my understanding <laughs> of the Hyde Amendment is that it blocks abortion coverage essentially from low-income people, people of color, because they aren't allowed to use Medicaid to obtain an abortion. Exactly. Federal funds are essentially restricted for abortions in almost every case, except for when like the mother's life is in jeopardy and it's like a, that procedure is basically not even about the abortion anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and by restricting federal funds, like plot twist, our healthcare system requires that the federal government funds healthcare plans for low income folks. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think, I think what's just like so important about this is like these democratic debates are about like poverty and climate change and the criminal justice system. And like, each and every one of those things is impacted by, like, pregnancy. Mm. Um, and politics has, like, this long, gross history with sex. And, like, it's just funny that we don't connect sex to all of these things that we're talking about. Totally. Um, and it's, you know, like, the Hyde Amendment and restricting abortions, like— White women and wealthy white women and wealthy women, period, in this country have always been able to get abortions. No problem. And will always be able to get abortions. Yep. Because that's the way that it works. Um, And so by restricting that same service to people who are low income, when at these debates and when we're talking about people who are middle class or poor, is like, yeah, we should 
discuss the connection between your inability to make decisions about family planning because our funding limits or our restrictions on your healthcare coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's important. Thousand percent. Yeah. Moving on to Cory Booker. Great. So Cory Booker on May 22nd said that he released a plan to create a White House Office for Reproductive Freedom. How cool is that? You want to talk about that? What does I mean, that say in here? So here's what I'll say about creating a White House office for it is like that is essentially how the executive branch exercises a lot of power is by like creating an office that is financed within the White House who has like an ear to the president who is like, here's what we should be doing. And in the context of the United States, like that's hugely important. Yeah. Both for the freedom component and also like, I think this article talks about this, but like our maternal mortality rates are awful. And um, when we talk about like this, people on both sides of the aisle believe that this country is about freedom and mm. like what is freedom without reproductive freedom oh americans woman? love tattooing freedom and american flags and bald eagles okay. on their chest maybe and next their time forehead. on the air we'll get a freedom tattoo of some kind you know here's what i'll say is i'll never do that <laughs> okay here's what i'll say <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> um so it, it sounds like from the article that not only would he create a white house office to do this work but he would increase the budget for family planning um, and that he would reverse a gag rule that's in place under the Trump administration, which bans doctors from telling women about legal abortions. Um, You know, the thing about something like that kind of gag rule is it's like probably really unevenly applied. Oh, for sure. I mean, your mom is probably the best person to talk about this. Yeah. Like people... We'll talk about it if they want to, and they'll be like, I'm, I'm gag-ruled if yeah. they don't want to. Right. Um, so removing a ban like that just allows more flexibility in places where it's scarier to talk about abortion. Totally. Um, and... What else does Booker say? Oh, he talks a little bit about the guidelines for the teen pregnancy prevention program. And from what I understand, that has to do with whether they're abstinence-based or comprehensive-based sex education programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like Corey has big plans. I think so. And this is what I've heard from people is that like, there has been a, quite a lot that's been coming from him, which yeah. I think is really awesome. Um, and, and as you know, I'm hugely biased because my boyfriend and I met at a Cory Booker fundraiser. That's right. In 2013. And he tweeted back at you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I tweeted at him because this is who I am as a person. <laughs> Hey, like, so excited to be helping you out tonight. I'm 20. Ha <laughs> And he was just like, thanks so much for your help. And I was like, no, we're, we're together I'm now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and, and you as well. Which and you, sir. response. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I, what is encouraging is like this field of candidates is really strong. That's amazing. Yeah. And Kamala is next on the list. Yes. And she kind of talks about a plan that she has that would require states and localities Mm -hmm. with a history of violating Roe v. Wade to obtain approval from her Department of Justice before any abortion law or practice can take effect. So that's basically she's she's like protecting funding for Planned Parenthood um, and would nominate people who support abortions. Yeah. And this is like... Or abortion rights, sorry. Exactly. Yeah. This is a move that legally um she could do because 
When you have a history of violating some kind of right, the government has more latitude to create a solution like this, where you would then be stopped from violating right by like a proactive thing. So it, like this happened um, in the civil rights movement where if a country or if a state or locality had a history of violating civil rights, it was easier to enforce some kind of civil rights program onto them. Cool. So I think it's a really interesting idea to bring that into the abortion context where if you have a history of violating Roe v. Wade, now the Justice Department can have a proactive or prophylactic approach to your actions by saying like anything you want to do that touches abortion, we can get involved in. I love that. Yeah. And it's, it's like a hard test. It's kind of like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Exactly right. And like, it's cool because like you, you can point to concrete laws that they've passed in the past and say like, for that reason, we need to get involved here Mm -hmm. now, as opposed to waiting for a violation of rights and then coming in, Mm -hmm. um, which is great. There's also something about John Hickenlooper here, and I don't care about him, so I'm not going to read this. Yeah, I think we can go ahead and skip. We're just going to go ahead. My favorite tweet of this election so far was like a photo of John Hickenlooper at a debate, and the tweet was just like, who, and I cannot stress this enough, is this? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like... No, yeah, that's I cannot. That fair. That's so funny. Yeah. He's like just fine he's in the fine. debates. I don't care about him There's though. There's a of course a rumor that he's just gonna go run for Senate in Colorado. Interesting. So I think he bought the domain name to like run for Senate a day John or two. John Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper. I mean, we have to say is a good name. Hicken it's, it's a strong It'll name. never be president. No, no, but in a different way. Hell yeah. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. All right, equal pay. Okay, we already know this. If you don't read a book, women earn 80 cents for every dollar. Any book. Literally read the Bible. Nope. McGonagall was paid the same as Flitwick, like, I'll eat my own shoe. Okay, you're pathetic. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, so here's the thing. (laughs) Again, and of course, let's be clear women of color earn a lot less than that. Um, you know, from like 50 cents to 65 cents on the dollar, it says in this article. And there are like, um, you know, statistics that break that out by like Native American women versus African American women versus Asian American women. And it's totally varied. Absolutely. And Kamala Harris, what does Kamala Harris say here? So she leads the way, according to CNBC. (laughs) Um, And it has a bunch of components but it, it seems like the big pillars of equal pay um, across the board are like transparency. Yes. Um, because, of course, if people were aware of generally what the men and women in their organization made, they would have negotiating power. Yep. I've taken so many freaking like negotiation seminars. Yeah. Where they're like, the best thing you can do is come in with data. And it's like, and from where and right. from whom right. shall I get this magical data Truly, that says how much my male coworker is making compared to me? Right. So transparency feels huge. Totally. Um, she has like a certification program that companies could obtain. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this be really successful with like lead building certification. Like people want to be certified that they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and because all of us, listener, consumers are like demanding that companies act right. The more we do that, the more they're like, oh, well, look at me. I just like Ben and Jerry's. I'm a B Corp. And you're like, 
what? <laughs> um, so they're starting to like care about having consumers perceive that they're doing the right thing. Right. And let us be careful not to be duped because sometimes those certifications can be lobbied to look like how you want them to look. So mm, that's important. Um, so it sounds like that's a big part of her proposal. Yeah. So, but she's, she's interested in talking about it. Yeah. And then there's Sanders who very briefly in this article, it says that he would adopt an equal pay act, Mm -hmm. um, through the uh, paycheck fairness act, um, which yeah, was proposed when he was starting politics (laughs) in 1963. And then there's Yang, of course. Yeah. Yang's such an interesting character. Universal basic income. Dylan Levy Gant, my little sweet brother. If you're listening, he is obsessed with Andrew Yang. And that feels right. Really, (laughs) really right on the money. Here's what I'll say. Okay. Say it. Yeah. It sort of makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's all you have. Um, a couple things that I really like about Andrew Yang. Sure. And I'm not picking a candidate. Listener. No, let's be clear. Let's be clear. But the one thing that I love is that to exist in this country and to have access to your basic rights, you need a minimum level of income. You need money. So why don't we just give it to you? Because right. the market is doing a horrible job of providing stability. So that's one. And two, the other thing I really like that Andrew Yang talks about is... Um, when we think about losing jobs as a middle class, we always frame it as like these immigrants are right. sneaking in in the middle sure. of the night, stealing, stealing our jobs. jobs. And Andrew Yang's framing is sort of like, "Hey, machines exist. It's robots. Maybe it's this plot twist." Yeah, um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, and I think it points out that we like scapegoat a, a lot of people when, in fact, it tends to be companies that are like aggressively trying to figure out how to save money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just interesting framing. And the, Andrew Yang, according to CNBC, um, wants to implement pay disclosure laws, which New York City has implemented. Um, and disclosure and non-disclosure laws, I guess, work together. Either that um, an employer can't ask your prior salary history, which is what New York did, mm. because in that way, they're not repeating the sins of like a company in the past that might have paid you improperly. Right. Um, or in the alternative, here's what we pay our, everyone in our company in our C-suite. And the other thing, this is like a classic Yang. He wants to test the efficacy of those laws mm-hmm. to see what works, which I love. Um, so I say classic Yang in a pleasant way. I think it's great. And then, okay, and then there's Buttigieg, um, also into the Paycheck Fairness Act, mm-hmm. um, annual report, yada, yada, yada. There's additional measures. Warren and Booker haven't specifically released plans, but they're co-sponsors. So, like, all these people, the cool thing, like you said, about this, like, strong kind of set of candidates, there are too fucking many, but Agreed. they really are, like, being proactive about things that we, as, like, two liberal, like, people really care about. Totally. And I think, um, speaking of sort of action items for the group, is if something that we're talking about, you feel like there's, like, a gap, you know? Like, there's a huge women's or LGBT or sex issue that's important to you um, that candidates aren't talking about. Like, um, you can just write them. And, like, they have staff whose full-time job is to respond. And I interned in a Senate office. Yes, so yes you did. Huge expertise. <laughs> um, and I remember we'd get letters that were kind of like, I had this issue today. 
what do you think, Senator? And like my job was to go find the legislative director who would talk to the senator or chief of staff. And we'd like oftentimes be forced to think about issues because people randomly asked. Yeah. Um, so and that's the cool power of the, like the power to the people kind totally. of thing. Right. And like for all its ills, social media can allow you to do that. Um, the, you know, they accept a lot of feedback over email. If you have friends that work on the campaign, I, I love asking my friends who work on campaigns, like what does your candidate think about this thing? And they yeah. like, will get an answer to you. Um, so it's important. Like, I'm sure a lot of these plans we've been talking about came out of somebody being like, where the heck is your equal pay plan? And mm-hmm. somebody putting one together. So right. totally that's power. So the next issue on here is maternal mortality. Ugh. So if you don't know, um, maternal mortality is like absolutely horrific in the United States, specifically for women of color and black women, even more specifically, Um, and that of course is due to a combination of racism and not getting like black women, their needs met, Mm -hmm. um, and not listening to black women also not like giving proper diagnoses. Um, there's so many things that we've talked about, like in public health school where like we just simply aren't paying enough attention, um, as like doctors, as white people, as people who have privilege and aren't experiencing those things that black pregnant women are experiencing. Um, So that's just like a little bit of background. Mm -hmm. Um, And according to this article, the U.S. is one of 13 countries where maternal mortality has worsened in the last 25 years. We're like the worst out of like all (laughs) developed countries with this issue. It's horrific. And we're getting worse. Yeah. And it's, it's horrible to just like take a beat and really think about the fact that a person who, and specifically a black woman who is pregnant in this country has to fear for her life as a result of that pregnancy and put that person in a state like Alabama where their access to abortion is restricted. It's like a horrible, horrible combination of things. Totally. And nationally, black women are three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth related causes than white women, which is just really... Uh, again, horrible. We should not be accepting this. And I think it's interesting because some of these candidates aren't, right? Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth Warren is in the beginning of this article for this topic. Um, She wants to incentivize health systems that keep moms healthy, uh, push for more inclusive best practices that are benefited, uh, that have benefited mothers of color, and diversify hospital staff, which Mm -hmm. I think is really awesome. Yeah. And I really like... um, the next piece about Kamala Harris. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So um, Kamala Harris would reintroduce a bill, um, which obviously has a fancy abbreviation, as all bills do, mm-hmm. um, which would provide a grant for training programs to fight racial bias in maternal health. Um, and I think, Danielle, you bring a lot of experience to this in an MPH program, but um, when your caregivers are biased, it of course impacts the quality of care that you get. Right. Um, And if you think about one of the root causes of maternal mortality, it would of course be discrimination or bias or inability to understand what people are bringing in the door with them. And I know that a lot of healthcare systems are looking at sort of community-focused healthcare in which you're sort of understanding the population that you serve as more than the health issue that they bring in with them. Um, 
And I think that that's really interesting because it shows a nuanced understanding beyond just we're not giving adequate drugs. Right. That's about the what people bring into the hospital with them. Yeah, and it's current, right? Yeah. Like we're there's research that shows that like racial bias does impact health outcomes and this bill like speaks to that. Totally. Which I think is so important. And it's not pennies, you know, like $25 million grant for training programs. The bill would also include $125 million to identify high-risk pregnancies, mm-hmm. provide mothers with culturally competent health care and resources. Like this is like what we are fighting for in public health. And I think like I, reading this, gained like a lot more respect for totally. Kamala Harris. And I think it's important to add sort of another intersectionality to the conversation, which you always hear that folks with like non-archetypal bodies Mm. get like pushed out of the healthcare system. Mm. I can't, that I've been to so many doctors where their response was like, lose 15 pounds and maybe you'll be fine. Same, same. And it's like, most of the time it's a serious medical issue that cannot be resolved from weight loss or weight gain or whatever it is. So I think in general, um, the like sort of cultural competence for the medical community is really important. Huge, yeah. And let this be a good time to talk about the fact that people in medical school do not barely, even if they do, receive sex education. Mm. And they don't receive like queer or LGBTQ kind of like sex education or issues or ways in which to talk about those things with their patients. And that needs to change immediately. Like that should be, like we need an overhaul, a sweep in the medical system in terms of in medical schools, the curriculum needs to match the current needs of people today. Of course. And why doesn't it, you know? I've been to a doctor in New York and I picked this doctor because on her website, it specifically said like queer friendly. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like kind of astounding that you have to market as a niche medical provider. Right. When, so, I mean, that should just be like- And this is in New York City. It's in New York City. And it's like basic medical competence should include, I serve everyone who needs medical care. Totally. Um, And it doesn't require a special note on my website or on my door, which I found really welcoming, but of course is like, okay, so everyone else (laughs) isn't? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, we have, last thing about about maternal mortality. So Booker hasn't released a detailed plan for this, but in May, he and rep from Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley, introduced the the Mommies Act. Very cute. Very cute. (laughs) Maximizing outcomes for moms through Medicaid improvement and enhancement of services. Mm. Um, So it would extend the time in which Medicaid will cover postpartum women from two months after giving birth to one year. Really important stuff. Because there's so much stuff on, like, postpartum depression that, like, no one talks about. Um, I've heard so many stories kind of recently about people giving birth and just how much pain they had to endure, even when they got like epidurals and like other things. And even, you know, if they didn't, but like the, you know, their stitches are still in there or they're having trouble with their like bladder or, you know, they're having depression issues. Like there's so many things that can like happen after you give birth and extending that Mm -hmm. is so necessary. I think anytime your body goes through anything, the importance of having like accessible 
people to talk to about what you're experiencing, both physically and emotionally, is crucial. And like, totally. I, I feel like probably many of us have experienced like um, an illness of some kind or like breaking a bone, and it's traumatic. Yeah. And like, you know, in a, as a society, we've actually gotten good about talking about mental trauma mm-hmm. and like are sort of aware that you need coaching out of mental trauma, but like physical trauma and probably one of the most physically traumatic events of a person's life totally obviously requires access to um to like strong wraparound services in the year in which you're recovering from that um i remember i broke my foot as walking known, walking on the sidewalk a couple months ago and uh, a person's advice was like to seek out one of these medical providers that if you pay like you know, X number of dollars, you're in the system, and then you can reach out to them whenever you want. They have doctors on text, on Skype, whenever. And it's like, I don't really want to have to pay more to have to have accessible healthcare providers. You shouldn't have to, also. Of course, because it's like, this is this is the game. Like, this is, right. this is what Back it's all about. Back to game night with Jason Bateman. And Jumanji, starting to and Jack Black LeBron? themselves. The Rock. Oh, I could have sworn you said LeBron. Okay, that would have been an interesting version of Jumanji that, again... It would have been I would have bad. Watched. Anyway. All right. All right, last thing on this article. Also, thank you again to... What's the name? Courtney Conley. Yeah, she's guiding us. For really providing us with all of this content. So, the last thing in, in this thing, in this article, is about paid family leave. So, we're <laughs> in the U.S., if you didn't know this, the only industrialized country... That does not mandate employers to provide paid family leave. What the fuck? What a town. It's so bad. So Kristen Gillibrand, um, who I feel like gained a lot of momentum kind of in the beginning and then maybe has like quieted down a little bit. I I will say um, I've met her a couple times. You have? Yes. Okay. And um, in New York State, and in general, she is so good okay. on women's stuff. Okay. Um, she was like one of the early, early people talking about the Me Too movement. Mm. She is just like accessible to women. I, I think I met her at like a conference for minority and women-owned businesses the first time. And she was like around and like was open to chat with anybody. She is really good That's on awesome. women's stuff. Um, and I think you're right, has not been getting a ton of attention. As much press. Yeah. But even though she wore that cool pink dress at the last debate, and I was oh, like, wow. I'm so happy to be alive at a time where like a great pink dress is being worn at a presidential debate. Pretty cool. Really cool. Yeah. Um, and then I think somebody pointed out that like Carly Fiorina at one point also wore pink, but like it matters less to me. Sure. Personally. That's fine. So we love you, Gillibrand. We love for you, that. Gillibrand. And for your, also your amazing for your record on stances. women. That's yeah. right. And here, um, 12 weeks is what Kristen Gillibrand uh, would give of paid family leave and medical leave to any employee who needs their care for a new child, a sick family member, or their own health issues. Which is just like the framing of that to... If I ever get sick, I'm always like, what the heck am I going to do? But right. the idea that you could take this leave for your own health issues even, right? Um, which I hope that would be like a broad, all-encompassing kind of self-assessment of mm-hmm. that. But And for it to be paid. Paid. Um, 
And then, you know, we were talking earlier about how politics influences culture. If that's just part of our society that people take the sleeve when they need it, mm-hmm. it'll just change completely the way we talk about leave in general. Absolutely. And then there's the Family Act, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's introduced in every Congress since 2013, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, all companies, no matter the size, with access to paid family leave, uh, paid for by having employees and employers contribute no more than $2 per week uh, for a typical worker fund. Employees would earn 66% of their monthly wages capped at 4000 per month per person. Pretty sweet, livable yeah, amount. Yeah, I would say so. Depends um, on where you are in the world. but Right, absolutely. And how many you know kids you have or yeah, your family, exactly. what, what that looks like. Um, but yeah, that's, it, that's super important. And that bill, it looks like it's supported by Warren, Booker, Sanders, Harris, and Klobuchar. So that's... The group is getting behind that. And I think um, sort of like in general, what you'll find is that if anybody has a good idea right now in the primary, it will get a lot of support from the other candidates, which is a great thing about the primary. Oh, for it's sure. Like you can kind of be like, well, this person said this. Do you also say that? Like, sure I do. Yes, <laughs> me as well, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I also would Much good. That. <laughs> so, That's so funny. And then, you know, you have to be careful because people walk a lot of that back during the general. Right. But now is a good time to hold people to account for their promises. Right. And to, to kind of end this whole thing, right? So Yang, on his campaign website, says that as president, he would fight for a policy that requires employers to offer at least nine months of paid family leave that's distributed between parents however they see fit. So, you know, if it's a double parent household taking care of a kid, maybe Mm -hmm. they could split that time up. Um, Or six months of paid leave for a single parent. Personally, like 12 weeks, great. Give me me six months to Mm -hmm. a year. I think like other countries have, and of course you can make the argument, other countries are not as big as America. Mm -hmm. Other countries have different socioeconomic kind of levels. There are different race, like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking Makeups, for? Makeups. Makeups of the country, you know, for example, like Sweden, like probably mostly right. white <laughs> Swedish people, I totally. would say. In America, not doesn't look like that. Right. So I think that you can make the argument that America isn't quote unquote fit to be compared to other countries. And at the same time, like this article and many other articles have said, is we are the only industrialized first world, quote unquote, country Mm -hmm. that does not have mandatory paid family leave. Yeah, I think that's um, like a brilliant and important thing to touch on because what we do as this country is we decide that our Americanness is in part our economic prosperity. And we might argue, some might argue, we sacrifice paid family leave because we're just so wealthy and good. Right. And the cost of that is most people because this is sort of the Robert Reich income inequality argument, which is that America on balance might be doing great, but it's the small group of people who likely could take any amount of family leave that they want, who are likely getting paid at the rate that they want, who have access to abortion and healthcare as they want. Um, And they're reaping the benefits of our sacrifice for America's quote-unquote prosperity. Mm. And I think what you're hearing in the Democratic debates and 
obviously this is my bias, but I think in the Democratic Party is like without creating an alternative rubric by on which we judge ourselves, like our America is going to be a bad place for many Americans. Mm. So while economic prosperity or GDP is like one way to judge how successful a country is, how happy or how healthy our moms are, or how happy or healthy our low income folks are, or how happy or healthy our average middle class folks are, we could make that our metric for success. It's like, I feel this way in my normal life all the time. My measure of success could be how much money I make or how happy I am. Right. And you can like totally pick. And when you're a country, you have to find a way for happiness to be attainable in the economic scheme. Hmm. And if those two things are totally disparate the way that they are today, you're not going to get the kind of America that we want to see. Um, and I think that that's like the political fight that we're fighting is not Trump. It's not like one freaking person. Right. Although one freaking person is a great thing to focus your energy on. Right. In this community and in this culture. But it's about like what is important. And like to Thomas Jefferson's point about creating a new constitution every generation, like I think our generation more than others in the past has decided like there are other things that we care about. And like we talk about mental health and sex and um, like our prosperity outside of our economic health. And like, how do you encourage your candidate and your political world to reflect those values? And that's what we're fighting for is like a system that cares about us the way we're starting to care about us. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> So we're drunk, I guess. So we're drunk, I think. <laughs> but thank you so much for being on this podcast. So happy you have to do brought it. so much like love and intellect and brilliance into this season and episode and, and beyond. And if there's one thing that we can kind of like recommend our listeners to do, it's like to like go and engage yourself in the political system mm -hmm. and like go out and vote and like do your research, have conversations with your family and friends and know that you do matter in the system. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks, Danielle. That's it. Our creator, producer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, AKA DB. Our assistant producer is Kathy Cohen. Our graphic illustrator is Alana Rance. Our sound engineer is Oliver Devone. Our fundraising co-coordinator is Jamie Cooper. And our other fundraising co-coordinator slash content assistant is Callie Cochran. Our music is by Ben Sound and Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured voices, sponsors, and our listeners. Tune in next time.